All right, welcome to another episode of Odyssey and Muse. I'm John Jerko, and this is a podcast where we explore adventure, creativity, and living life without a map. In this episode, I'll be talking with Cameron Dorn. Cameron is a champion endurance athlete who broke the world record for most burpees in 12 and 24 hours. He's a coach at Team Katuf. He uses his athleticism to raise money and awareness for the less fortunate, and he's the founder of the Suitcase of Courage. Uh, there's almost too much to cram into one show, so let's jump in. All right, welcome to the show, Cam. Thanks for doing this. All right. Thanks for having me on, John. It's good to be with you. So what part of the country are you in right now? How's the weather down there? <laughs> Man, I am actually in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, up from my hometown of South, or up from South Carolina, where I'm from. Cool. How's it, how is it there? Not too bad? or? Yeah, you know, it's what you make it. It's funny. Somebody, <laughs> someone just asked me about the weather, and I always say it's sunny in 78 and bring your own sunshine. So it's not too bad. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's like it's in like the negatives here up in yeah. Ohio, so it's just kind of waiting for the summer. But, you know, I like yeah. I like a little bit of that brisk weather sometimes, the blizzards. Yeah. We're, it's, it's technically, I think, 12 degrees outside, so nice. it's, it's yeah, chilly it's, here it's as well. It's still pretty cold. So yeah. I, I want to get into Suitcase of Courage and the record-breaking and all that fun stuff, but... Let's just start right. with the Krispy Kreme challenge because you just ran that recently <laughs> and maybe maybe talk about what it is and kind of your experience at this last race. I love it. Before we talk about wellness business, we talk about eating donuts. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, so the Krispy Kreme challenge uh, started, I think, in 2007, and it's actually in Raleigh, North Carolina, North Carolina State. Uh-huh. These guys got together, much like the first Ironman. There's like, can anyone run two miles, eat a dozen donuts, and then run two miles back? <laughs> well, like six out of nine of them completed it without throwing, because throwing up is heavily frowned upon. Mm-hmm. And then it became a, a race after that. And, you know, in 2009, when I first raced it, it was over 6,000 people. ESPN was there. Wow. And they raised about $150,000 for North North Carolina Children's Hospital. Oh, that's awesome. Um, since, since I just moved back to the area, I was like, man, I have to race this thing again. <laughs> um, 2015, you know, six years later, I'm not eating as much pizza mm-hmm. and, and consuming, you know, other beverages that we all consumed in college. My diet yeah. has changed and therefore I, I ate much slower and finished third <laughs> this year. So you didn't, you didn't, you didn't do any like uh, donut eating training before this race no and last time i ran a mile ate six donuts and then ran a mile this time i went into it cold turkey and i, and I paid for it Oof. <laughs> so you just start cramping up when you're in that last stretch there <laughs> i ran faster this time uh-huh. so i've got my priorities in order but i just ate slower i got out eating that was the problem <laughs> Your stomach wasn't ready for slugging them down there. Right, right. I came in fifth, and we ran 508-minute miles for the wow. first two and a half to get there. That's awesome. And then donuts took me five minutes, like 26 seconds per donut. <laughs> what was the fastest guy donut donut time, do you know? Well, they changed it. Uh, a good buddy of mine, Jeremy Davis, in a plug to set up events, he timed it last time. He actually had a donut transition time for us all. So, unfortunately, I don't know how much I... I I believe I got out eaten by like a minute, but uh-huh. I cannot look it up in the Can't results. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. He came in seventh and left first. I know that. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like a fun event. That's pretty cool that they're doing that for charity too to raise yeah. some money. Um, so when did your fitness journey begin? Were you always an athlete growing up and you know play Man, sports uh, and stuff, or how did how did it all happen? Yeah. 
John, I would say team sports. Um, all through growing up, I started playing basketball when I was four. Uh, played through high school basketball and football, mm-hmm. um, but got into the individual sports right after high school. I had a scholarship that kind of didn't pan out the way I thought it would. And, you know, I joined a fraternity and I was like, what am I doing? I want to be yeah. active. I want to compete. I want to I make my body feel good, not wake up in the morning like, what did you do to uh, it last uh, night? Yeah, there's only so many like hangovers and stuff you could have before you're like, this isn't great. <laughs> right. And we either learn from that or we just, you know, yeah, life heads south yourself. if you don't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I saw in your bio there was a, some mention that there was a friendly competition that kind of got you started on this path of competing in triathlons and races and stuff. So what was that about? Okay. Well, that all started, um, I picked up a a job part-time at the YMCA while I was at Lander University in Greenwood, South Carolina. And when I picked up this part-time job, I was still in the whole football mantra. I was like, man, I just want to get bigger. You know, Mm -hmm. how much can I lift? Oh, what? (laughs) If I could go back and meet that Cameron right now, I think I'd slap him at least 27 (laughs) times. Uh, I think everyone goes through that stage, though. You know? Right, right. I'm, I mean, that's all well and cool, but you know, if you bench press or whatever it may be, it's nice to do one rep, and then you can go get some water. Uh-huh. So I was talking to a friend of mine that worked at the front desk, and he was a runner, and he was a, he was a smaller guy, smaller statue, and I'm like, dude, you need to get big. What's up with all this running? He's like, yeah. you're just, and he's like, dude, you're just a meathead. We did not get along. <laughs> We ch- we challenged each other to um, do the work, do each other's workouts for five days. Mm-hmm. So I put him through the paces, lifting and trying to get his bench press max, thinking that was the most hardcore thing. He made me run twenty miles on the last day. Oh wow! <laughs> Jordan basketball shorts, cotton like a frame t shirt, uh-huh. you know, with no Vaseline on the nipples. I was bleeding. <laughs> Uh, and I was running in cross trainers that were like, you remember the Nike shocks? Oh yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Those are those. basketball shoes, not <laughs> oh, running man. shoes, you know, especially 20 miles. <laughs> right. Yeah. So how'd Promotes. that work out then? <laughs> well, uh, the 20 miles actually ended in my town of Waterloo, um, small town population, 211 in 2000. Oh, now cool. we're down to 164, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> but the thing about it is I ended in my grandfather's front yard and walked to the house I had a box of Fruit Loops in less than two minutes. No milk, just scarfing <laughs> just calories them. down. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> but I was hooked. I skipped class on a, later that day and went and bought my first pair of running shoes, and I still have them. And I actually oh, wow. just finished a running workout in those shorts night I bought, you know? So after you did this challenge, you were like, wait a second, this is this is something totally different than what I've been doing. <laughs> right. I think I think with, it was a new challenge. It was something it, it tapped into my mind more. Yeah. It, 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 that was the challenge. It was more mental, of course. It was tough, physical, but it's just the place it puts your mind when you when you delve into a challenge like that into the unknown. Yeah, especially those endurance type sports because I I feel like your mind is probably your your worst or best friend. Right. <laughs> it's it's your biggest limitation. Yeah. It really is. So how did that lead into you actually competing and then starting to win some competitions in college? Oh, man, it, it translated over well because with like team sports, I was the captain of the football and basketball team in high school. Mm-hmm. And I would I would wake up in the morning before class and shoot 100 free throws because I read Larry Bird's biography. Oh, wow. I, I just had that personality. I do not want to do anything halfway. Yeah. You know, it's either I'm all in 
or like making the bed, bud, it never gets made because I don't care anything about uh-huh. it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so once you're dedicated, you're you're going in. Right, right. Forward. There's there's no middle ground, unfortunately. So you decided you wanted to do this endurance racing, and you were going for it, basically. Right. Signed up for a 5K. Uh, there's a local doctor in town. He's fantastic swimmer. He taught me how to swim. And I bought a bike, and that power translated over really well from American football with mm-hmm. a lot of squats and lifting and just tried to turn those fast-twitch fibers into slow-twitch as much as, po- as much as possible. And just, you know, day after day, there's no secret to getting faster except for hard work. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what were some of those first competitions that you started winning? Um, back then, I remember the first race I completed, I was like, man, if I can go 20 minutes on a 5K, I'm blazing fast, and I ran three miles, 3.1 yeah. miles. <laughs> 24 minutes, John. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I th- I'd sleep in – I would actually – because, you know, being in college, we, you're, you're living on pennies. Uh-huh. Um, I would drive my SUV and sleep at the race site the night before just so that I could race. And sometimes with triathlon, I'd put my bike in the back of the car, and it was in the heat of summer, and open up the sunroof so I didn't suffocate. Just the love of sport. So, so just man. to save money, you would just sleep in your car outside oh, of the race and get up and go. <laughs> yep, CVS and McDonald's parking lot is the best. Put a put oh, yeah. a towel over the window to knock out the light. Uh huh. You're golden, man. Yeah, I've slept in some Walmart parking lots in my day, so <laughs> I know the good, routine. <laughs> good for you, man. Yeah. It I think works. every I think everyone should, and, and a little bit of humble pie is good every now and then. Exactly. You know? Exactly. <laughs> so, so you started doing these competitions, and did, when did you start traveling around the world to do these? What kind right. of competitions were you doing when you were doing well, that? Well, it took me about a year going back to your question about winning. I actually won a couple age groups, and then the mm-hmm. second year of triathlon, I got into triathlon more than just running and or swimming. Um, it, it was the it was all encompassing. I actually won a triathlon in Rock Hill, oh, wow. and it was it was a smaller race. It was only about three hundred people. Mm-hmm. But I was like, man, once you win one, I was like, what's going to stop you from winning another one? Yeah. I just got got to keep training harder, <laughs> keep going. And exactly, an insatiable hunger to succeed, you know. <laughs> and I've raced. I've then then I was dating this Brazilian girl in mm-hmm. college, and she's like, Cameron, let's go check out this study abroad program right oh, where this cool. this englishman comes and he puts on this great accent the exact opposite of what you're hearing here out of mine you know <laughs> <laughs> and and she was she took me to this just to learn about it. i was like i want to do this um the lander offers a great opportunity it's essentially the same to study overseas in england the same cost yeah as it is to study in greenwood south carolina uh-huh. I'm like, that's a no-brainer <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. My my sister did a similar thing. I can't remember. Yeah. I think she might have went to Manchester from Bowling Green, Ohio. Okay. And yeah, she right. did a year over there. And I never thought to do it. And afterwards, I was like, "What was I thinking? This is <laughs> this is an awesome opportunity." <laughs> it, it's it it really is, yeah. and it and it will change. I mean, they call it the Winchester. I went down south to Winchester, right mm-hmm. outside of e- or London. Okay. And and it's great their educational system, which I still I actually returned to do my masters there, oh, but. Wow. It's all about the experience you gain while you're there. It just opens your eyes to a whole new world, even though it's Europe. But that's like a stepping stone to yeah. say, if I can go to Europe, I can go to Asia. If I can go to Asia, I can go to Australia. You know, uh-huh. it's just the way it works. So did you kind of get the bug from for travel at that point too? Right, man, I did. Uh, 
my parents, like I said, I, to, when I was talking to you earlier, they're right now, they're in Ireland on a yeah. trip, right? That's awesome. And, and I'm a believer, like, because my dad, he's never traveled. He was actually in Germany. As well. My grandfather was in the military. Uh-huh. But my, my father was a huge proponent of when we were small, always taking trips and getting me outside of little Waterloo, South Carolina. Yeah, right? that's nice. And these, these were road trips, never an airplane. I didn't touch an airplane until I was 16, but mm-hmm. he would get in that Ford Aerostar van, give me a book, and next thing you know, we're in Niagara Falls, you know? Oh, wow. That's a good so, trip from there. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And he, when I went to England, he's like, Cameron, you need to go to a couple different countries. So he consulted a travel agent and I went to like Paris, yeah. Czech Republic, and um, I think it was Amsterdam. And man, after that, who, who doesn't want to travel more? <laughs> There's so much to see out there. Huh? There's so much to so see. Were you were you competing in, in sports when you were over in Europe then? I was. I, I had more. When I showed up to the airport in Atlanta, it was my first trip. I think it was like second time ever on the airplane, right? Uh-huh. And there were three girls there from school. I was the only gentleman. Guess who had the most luggage? The guy. <laughs> <Are you serious? laughs> yeah. I was I was attached to my bicycle, which I bought with uh, all my savings of like seven hundred dollars. Still looking at it now. It's the first bike I ever bought. Yeah. And I'm like, man, if I'm going to England, my bike is going to England. I'm gonna ride everywhere. Uh, that's I went a great to, idea. Yeah, why not? You know? And um cycled to Stonehenge. The weather, as you know, in England is is awfully rainy, yeah, right? It's a lot like the Northwest. Yeah, and I love it. I love that weather. And you know, I learned over there. I learned if you <laughs> if you don't have enough money to buy these expensive shoe covers that cost ninety dollars, mm-hmm. plastic bags work <laughs> just as good. So I, I, I put plastic grocery bags around my feet to ride in the rain, and actually rode to Stonehenge oh, nice. and walked around Stonehenge with cycling cleats on and plastic bags. You know. <laughs> so did you get panniers and stuff, and and do any like little tours over there, or was it? I had a backpack, and mm-hmm. I and I was still not totally confident on how to change my tire at yeah. that time. So I always backpacked with running shoes because I was like, "Look, if that breaks down, you got your feet." You know, <laughs> throw the bike on your back or hide it somewhere and run. <laughs> exactly, brother. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> when when did you get into um, working with Rick Katuf and the team Katuf and all that, and and doing the Ironmans? How did that all come about? Right. That came about, um, I raced when I was overseas, partially the first mm-hmm. time, but I really was dedicated to training while I was over there. You know, I would spend the time on the trainer. I would swim with the local club, and I came back, and I, that was the first season that I raced elite yeah. um, back in the southeast, and I started picking up some wins, and I, man, there's a great friend of mine. He's in his upper 30s, um, one of the fastest bike riders around Chris Olson. We started training together and doing these 80 mile rides that would just make your eyes cry. You know, you, <laughs> I'm, it, it, everything about it hurt, but I knew each time I was getting better and better. Yeah. And it just gave me that confidence as a 21 year old that I can hang with the big boys. And I came back and, um, I think it was collegiate national championships where I actually w- went out there and picked up a win for all the division two schools mm-hmm. and had the um, second fastest bike split or f- second fastest bike split in the nation. Oh, and I was awesome. like, man, let's, and I was 20, 21 years old at yeah. the time. So that, that was it. And then I started just racing everything I could to race myself into shape. And the more wins you pick up, the more sponsors mm-hmm. essentially come your way. And, and uh, Rick ap- approached me after finishing second, 
to in at a half Ironman, he was like, "Hey, would you like to be on board with this?" And uh, I'm still racing with him since 2009. It's a great relationship, and I've raced all over the world with wins in four different uh, countries, three different continents, and man, 30 different wins. I think it is now or something oh, wow. like that. That's yeah. awesome! Congratulations, man. <laughs> oh man, it's it's Hammered it. it's. Yeah, it's just all, what I love about racing is um, a lot of people think they're demigods because they can ride their bike fast or swim mm-hmm. or exercise, right? I'm not one of those guys. I'm so anti that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, 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 if you finish first or 100th, it doesn't matter. You're out there pushing your own limits, and you should be doing it for the right reasons, for health, for fun, not look at me, you know? Yeah, not um, not for fame. That's not a yeah. good reason to do anything, I guess, in life. Yeah, the the three G's. You ever heard of the three G's, John? I don't know. Possibly. Oh, man. It's girls, glory, and gold. If you're doing <laughs> it for those reasons, you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sounds like rock and roll, too, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they'll they'll find their way. You yeah, know? They'll, yeah. They'll find your way. You'll find them, but don't just go out there and look for them. So what's what's your current training schedule like? It sounds like you're pretty pretty intense and, and on top of this. Yeah, man. Uh, Boston Marathon's coming up mm-hmm. this year, and, and I've got also a race, a 100K race. I'm targeting in Transylvania to be my first forte into, the, like, I'd say the in, the ultra racing. Uh-huh. Um, in Transylvania, like Romania? Like Romania. Oh, that's yeah, like awesome. Yeah, like Vlad the Impaler's yeah, That's That's start. where my family comes from. My dad's side's oh. all Transylvania, that area. I still haven't gone yet, but that, I definitely want to make it there. Come on over, John. You yeah, got the invite, man. September. <laughs> September. Yeah. All right. Cool. But it's it's a, and it's a good group. The thing too is what I like about racing is now when I go to a race, it's very rarely by myself. Right? Mm-hmm. There's always a buddy involved. So we got this group of friends. I mean, it's it's the Green Beret guy. Um, it's a gentleman that lives in Jersey, the country off the south coast of England. Uh huh. Right. And another buddy of mine that works stocks up in um, in New York and we're just the adventure crew. And uh, we ran with the bulls together and we're like, dude, let's just push the limits and find a race. And it's got twenty three twenty three thousand feet of elevation gain. Wow. And, 100 miles, you said? Uh, 100K. So 62 100K, miles. Okay. Oh, that's still a lot of running. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I look forward to seeing what you do on that one. I'll have to keep keep track of you. Yeah, um, it, it'd be slow. <laughs> yeah, slow and uh, steady. When that's right. This that's year. right. So, how did how did you get into volunteering? I, was it with this orphanage in Thailand when you were doing some traveling, or how did that all come about? That was my first real go at it. I believe um, I started traveling in. And I've all, I've got these this belief that I want to see more countries right than the number of years in my life. Yeah. So I'm always trying to stay ahead of that, right? Uh-huh. And when I'm in Thailand, I, I found this organization. It's right on the the border of Burma, actually Myanmar, which is a ter- I mean, it's a rough spot. It's probably mm-hmm. one of the roughest places in the world right now. Um, and I volunteered at this this little orphanage, and these are refugees, Burmese refugees that are just persecuted, right? Essentially. Yeah. Um, there, there's still genocide going on in that country right now. How crazy wow. is that? Right. And, and you go over there and I'm, I'm living in this, I'm living at this orphanage. It's an old like barn, mm-hmm. right? There is like duck poop all around. That's what they, you know, it, that's their food. They raise their food, right? Uh-huh. These kids don't have shoes. These kids are falling, scraping their knees, 
they're just living, I'd say primitive, right? Yeah. And at first, at first, from a Western viewpoint, I'm like, what's going on here? It was, it was an adjustment and I've traveled extensively, extensively before then. Mm -hmm. But I was like, when I walked in, it was a place I was like, Cameron, I don't know if you can stay at this place. It was kind of disturbing at first, just disturbing right it's in a it's in an area with malaria and yellow fever yeah. all that stuff and there's mosquitoes bite you left and right a flood happened a week before i got there it killed oh, like wow. 300 people right but then i stayed there about two weeks and it was one other gentleman from the u.s that came in he was mm-hmm. working at, um medical actually over there they're not surgeons he was just a emt but he was performing surgery because they don't have enough medical oh, help wow. over there right <laughs> That's pretty intense. It is. And then I started to think about like what we have here and how, you know, if we think we really have a problem or it's bad or it's not really that it's, it's nothing at all in the grand scheme of things. You know, people always say we take it for granted, but you don't even realize what that means until you experience something like that. And you you just have to see it to Mm -hmm. believe it type deal. And, and I made a, I was just reading one night and I journal all the time. I call them the chapters of courage. I write it down and I'm like, from now on, you're not going to come to an observer in a country anymore, mm-hmm. right? Some people think we're helping out the economy. Yeah, spending dollars. But there's nothing bigger than saying I'm here with you and spending your time yeah. to help out a place, yeah. right? And, and I'm just passionate about improving those lives around me. And I believe we can make such a large impact as Westerners right here in our own in our own country. Mm-hmm. But it's just a multiplier effect when we get outside the country too. You know, a, a dollar goes so much further in Asia than yeah. it does in New York, right? Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard a lot of people that have traveled through Southeast Asia and say you can pretty much live off of three dollars a day traveling. <laughs> Easily. And my retirement plan is Southeast Asia. I love it. I love it because people have conversation. It's Mm -hmm. not when you get in an elevator, everyone's looking at their iPhone. Yeah. (laughs) So true. I feel like I'm the oldest 26 year old I know. You know, I love records and VHS. I don't care anything else about anything (laughs) more. (laughs) That's a good mindset. So how how did this whole decision to volunteer come about? What's spurred that? Right. Well, that decision came about, I, I guess, you know, we circling back, it was a grander scheme, right? When I went to grad school overseas mm-hmm. and I was racing and then I went to work for a company. I, I moved to Portland, Oregon after that, John, oh, back nice. in when I was 21. Great city. Yeah, it was a great cool. city. <laughs> I think you were just out there. Almost, yeah, I was out you? there on the West Coast. I did a little bike tour myself and went through there. Okay. Really cool you place, have some yeah. voodoo, voodoo donuts? I did not, but I heard a lot about them. <laughs> Yeah, that <laughs> that's would one of the feel... ones I missed. Right on, man. Well, that's cool to see that you went out there. Yeah, they need to start doing a run, the Voodoo Donut Run. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, when I was out in Portland, I mean, it was a dream come true to live out there. It got me into the mountaineering and just the mindset of there's never a bad day because I'm out there running and here it's 34 degrees and raining. Here's this mother pushing two kids, uh-huh. you know, like suck it up, cupcake. <laughs> Let's roll, baby. But but I went out there, and I think the the mo- one of the most important times and pivotal points in our life is after we graduate college, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're ending one phase where everybody's telling you to do this, and you kind of not got it spoon fed to you as much, right? Yeah. But then it's up to you to decide what job you choose or where you go or where you 
if you make roots right away or, or not. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I, I went right through um, and garnered, gained my master's and had a job offer to work in Portland. I was like, man, I made it. And then I looked at the offer. And of course, you know, you're young, you look, I was broke for how many years? Yeah. And they're about to pay me this amount of money. Uh-huh. Right. I'm like, oh, you, you, you're, you're successful in the classic sense of Americana, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and then I worked that job and I, and I got my first paycheck and I was like, that's cool. Well, then the second paycheck I got, I was like, after a while, I don't, I don't care about the money. Yeah. Yeah. It's the last thing in the world. And I would drive in every day. You've been out there Mm -hmm. and I would look up at Mount Hood where I climbed on the weekends. Right. Yeah. And I would sit there and I was like, I can only get this two out of seven days at most, uh-huh. right? And, I'm, and I've got accounts all over the U.S., right? Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, that's cool. You're eating at fancy restaurants and you're staying at hotels. And John, I was going to Orlando. That stops being cool <laughs> after Disney World when you're 10, Yeah, man. especially living out of hotels. It sounds glorious until, you know, they realize that you're, you know, you go to, go to your job, come back to your hotel, and you're trapped inside of another box. <laughs> you ever seen Point Break? Let's talk about some VHS. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. They're in their metal coffins driving. You know, uh-huh. I I don't I, I I respect right. If someone really wants that type of lifestyle, they can have it. Yeah. But it's just not for me, and I'm the first one to say it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. Well, I started just driving in, and just starting to think about myself. And I have I'm a I'm a single guy. I'm 26. I have no debt. Uh, there. I'm like, what is keeping me here? Yeah. There's a whole big world out there to explore, right? And I'm like, T- and that's a big decision because you've got that paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. You've made it. And you know each year you'll make substantially a little bit more and more yeah. and more, right? Yeah. And everyone else thinks you made it and would think you're crazy to leave it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they, I, you know, exactly. But my family always supports. So, uh, yeah. like, I was financially responsible. Mm-hmm. I'm never a believer on relying on someone else. You know, I say paddle your own canoe. If you can't paddle it, get out, right? Yeah. Um, but then I, I I went and I climbed Mount Hood one weekend with a buddy, right? Mm-hmm. And then I climbed Mount St. Helens the second day. Well, my sunscreen broke down so much that I came off the mountain with second degree burns. Oh, wow. Right? And I had the flu going into it. And it also <laughs> led me to have like an airway and walking pneumonia, like an airway that was pinched or whatever, right? And walking <laughs> oh, pneumonia. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I've got the picture of it. I look completely. My face is all like blistered up. up. <laughs> yeah, I and and I couldn't fit an actual like uh, collared shirt on over my arms. I had to drain the blisters uh, and cut cut the shirt so it would fit over my arms. Right. Ouch. Well, I'm not gonna miss a day of work because that's my position. You know, yeah. and my my duty. I go into work. And my boss said, Cameron, you need to think about what you do on the weekends because it affects what you do during the weekday. <laughs> you know? Didn't like to hear that. Not at all. Because, you know, I could, I've got four or five different reasons why I could take for short term disability for crying out uh-huh. loud, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm you're coming in and, and putting in the work and time. Dude, I'm exactly. Even though you're in pain. And I was the youngest one in the office by 10 years, mm-hmm. right? And I'm busting my butt, and I'm like, yeah. And I knew I filed away in the back of my head, and I'm like, no, this is not for me. Yeah. So I respectfully, like uh, a couple months down the line, I was like, 
I'm going to go out and I'm going to travel around the world. So I had enough money saved up and I walked away from my position at, at the location in Portland. Mm-hmm. And I did not have another job lined up, but I had a plane ticket to go to the Camino de Santiago and walk 600 miles across Spain and run with the bulls. And that's oh, wow. all that mattered. Yeah. That sounds like an awesome adventure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so cool. So that's kind of, that's, that's how it all started. And then the, the journey yeah. around the world. Right. It's uh, that's how all travel started. And then on a grander scheme, I've always been a believer in the suitcase of courage and it's been around the mantra since like Oh eight with friends. But um, yeah, that, yeah, talk about that a little bit. What is, what is a suitcase of courage and how did you come up with the name? Right. Suitcase of courage, man. Um, old school, nostalgic. I love old suitcases. Right. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to after a half Ironman in Greenwood, after racing, uh, the same friends that always adventure together were like, man, we're not just going to race the half Ironman. We're going to race the half Ironman and go hike the Appalachian Trail, a section of the hardest trail the next day. <laughs> right? I love it. Middle of summer. <laughs> Crazy. Dehydration central. There's no... We took water purifiers. Uh-huh. There has to be water for that to work, you know? <laughs> <laughs> How did that turn out? <laughs> yeah. So the funniest part, it's hilarious you're on the interview. Everything's falling together. My buddy in England, uh, Piers DeGrushy, mm-hmm. Suitcase of Courage came about. It was just playing on words. And the Suitcase of Courage came about when Piers were hiking up this hill, just mad pace the first hour and 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. My buddy Austin Brown is leading. And Piers has, like, shape-ups on, man. You know? <laughs> He's got, like, no laces. We're right there at Clingman's Dome in the Great Smokies in Tennessee. Yeah. And this cat from England is wearing shape-ups. <laughs> That's hilarious. With shorty socks. Oh, wow. So for him to keep up, he, um, he's got quarter-size blisters oh. 45 minutes or an hour into a four-day, 80-mile hike. Wow. And he did not complain one bit. So he did. We, we was like, dude, you're digging into the suitcase of courage. That's just how it came about. Uh-huh. And I'm just. It's got a little joke, play on words type thing. It's a joke. And the suitcase came about, and and for no, it's really not. It's the suitcase of whatever you want it to be, mm-hmm. John. You know, yeah. what whatever fuels you, whatever your passion is, that's what it is. And for me, my passion is finding fear, right? Yeah. Like I look for things that just scare me. Okay. Uh huh. And the older I get, the more the harder they are to find. You know. And when I when I know that stuff scares me, I know that I have to have my suitcase of courage packed to conquer it. So, man, I'm like, why not carry this old suitcase of courage wherever it is to uh-huh. the airport? It's just my go-to. It's a tangible suitcase, so, well, yes. Yeah, yeah, so you actually wrote the word courage on one of these old suitcases then and started carrying right. it around? Exactly, man. I don't believe in um, rolling luggage. I think it's normal, uh-huh. you know, and and boring and I see as a great way to get in an arm workout through the the airport, right? <laughs> I like you how you're only... always thinking of ways to combine. <laughs> yeah. But you should only carry what you really need, right? Yeah, exactly. Plus everyone has a black bag. I want my old school leather suitcase of courage, Samsonite. Uh-huh. And that's it. Never have a problem finding it. Never that's in true. the airport. You know? <laughs> see, see it from across <laughs> the airport. Right. That's how that came about, the, the mantra behind the mm-hmm. Suitcase of Courage. Yeah. So what's the, the business then? What did you create there? So the business was an opportunity. I, I promised myself when I stepped away from my position, you know, 
of course not going into dollars, but it was it was a well more than a person needs mm-hmm. to live off of, right? A single guy. I was like, Cameron, you'll never take another job. I promise myself. That's just about the money, yeah. right? So I looked in. I, I did some corporate wellness with Team Katouf with General Electric. We worked on that. In a, another engineering firm, right? Mm-hmm. And then I look at my past, and I was like, what really fuels you? And in my past, my father and my grandfather worked in textile mills Mm -hmm. in South Carolina, right? Textile mills are great, man. They fuel the South. But you know how much they cared about the employees? Not too much, huh? Not too much, man. My grandfather would come home from Regal and still go out there and work on the farm right next to where we live. But you know what? He couldn't sleep in the bed at night with my grandmother because his back was shot. He'd have to Uh, sleep in the floor, right? Yeah. Not cool (laughs) at all. So when I was in grad school, I actually did my dissertation on employee wellness as it relates to employer benefits to get the other side of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just like fate, I believe in karma and just being true to what you believe in, this amazing lady – um, in Greenwood, her name's Lisa Emily. She she met me at a half Ironman, right? And she's the director of commu- uh, PR for Fujifilm. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of those guys before? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're huge, right? Yeah, they're not big just company. Big company, and they're based in Greenwood, South Carolina, right there. That's awesome. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're manufacturing where the cameras and snap cameras yeah, and all yeah. that good stuff was made, right? And it goes back to support what the Suitcase of Courage is all about. Small town does not mean small opportunity. I mean, that's a super small town, right? Uh-huh. But it was the catalyst. They brought me in to design a wellness program just for that one location, right? And we lowered the musculoskeletal injury rate 80% with the average age of 48. So oh, wow. injuries are supposed to go up with the aging workforce, mm-hmm. right? We brought them down by 80%. Yes, that helped their employer. But that also helped those employees go home happy and healthy. Yeah, exactly. It gave them right? a better quality of living. Right. And I trained 15 trainers, built a gym on site. Um, they're actually 25-minute classes, yoga to boot camp to less dance led by their fellow employees. And people can come and take those classes throughout the day. Um, that's in there. Uh, so Apple- this is all within their facility then? This is all within Fujifilm uh, Greenwood's facility. That's pretty right? amazing, yeah. Designed it, well... Going back to the business, they hired me as a consultant mm-hmm. and as a suitcase of courage. So I created the suitcase of courage. Of course, I was like, "What else do I name a business <laughs> than the suitcase of courage?" Yeah, right? That's a great name. Yeah, and the suitcase for that side of things applies to business, meaning um, you have to know the business. So embed yourself with the suitcase, mm-hmm. right? And then it takes the courage, saying, "Hey, I'm a manufacturing business. We're going to outsource." our wellness offering. Therefore, they're invoking courage. So it's a nice little play on words there too. That's pretty cool. But uh, that program was so successful that Fujifilm Holdings out of New York picked up the idea of what I was putting down. And mm-hmm. I had a trip planned, right? It was a it was a short-term gig in Greenwood to come in and do, it's like any consultant. You're in and you're out, yeah. right? Well, they picked up on it. I went to Peru actually this summer to climb and had that trip booked. Uh, this fantastic lady out of the director of benefits, she comes down and she's like, Cameron, I know your lifestyle. I know how you are. Would it interest you to do this for us, right? And we signed a three-year contract, and now I'm the national wellness consultant to over 6,000 people in 17 different locations oh, nationwide. Awesome. Right? That's pretty cool. Doing doing a position, if I would have stayed at Healthright working 
that you know that <laughs> the same thing over and over yeah, yeah. again right this would have never been possible yeah, you just gotta follow your heart man it sounds like you're doing it <laughs> Yeah, and it, and if it all goes south, I'll be the happiest homeless person you know. So either way, brother, I'm good. <laughs> so so kind of circling back, how did how did this volunteer work lead into your deciding to break some records to to help right. some some other people? Well, when I the Greenwood is near my hometown of Waterloo, South Carolina, right? And and that's where I, I go back to the small town, small opportunity. Doesn't mean small opportunity. Well, I get back to Greenwood and I'm working on this project and. You know, I'm sure you're like this, John. You're just, you've got, I can tell you got to drive to you. I just can't do one thing. I want to, it's great I'm helping here, but I, my high school just, they got a cross country team in 2013. Mm-hmm. The, the school's been around since 1926. Oh, wow. Right? It's almost 100 year old. Almost 100 years old, and that's their cross country team that just came to be. So with racing at the top level, um, the coach, she asked me to come over and put some workouts together for them and design the workouts, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, sure thing. I come over and design the workouts, but I look at the kids, and the kids were just like what I started out in. They didn't have the right shoes, yeah. right? But these kids, we're one of the, the lowest-funded districts. In, we are the lowest-funded district in the state. I know that for yeah. a fact from the superintendent. And I'm like, we need to do a fundraiser to get these kids' shoes. Mm-hmm. And each of us has our own different skill set. And I started looking. I was like, what could be a fundraiser to get these kids' shoes? I was like, you got to do something crazy. You got to do something intense. And then I looked. I was like, South Carolina's never had a world record, a Guinness world record holder for an athletic achievement. And I started looking. I was like, burpees. Well, back in the day when I was a sales guy in Oregon, I would be pinned down in Las Vegas before a trade show. And I'd do 30 minutes of burpees to get a workout in. (laughs) Wow. Right? That's nuts. Can you can you explain what a burpee is a little bit? A burpee, according to the art of manliness, is the most difficult exercise known to man. Dead serious. It is pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. You burn about three calories for each one, originally created by a Turkish general because you go to the floor, you jump to the floor mm-hmm. um, in a push-up position, essentially, and then you get back up and jump. He created that as a test for his infantrymen to show how they could jump to the ground, essentially to dodge bullets and then get up and keep jump charging. Jump and shoot. <laughs> that is where it. That's why it's named Burpee because it was General Burpee that came uh, okay. up with it, that's... right? They're known for a lot of different other by uh, plenty of other different names, but I'm not going to mm-hmm. say them on here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so you decided that you would try to break the world record for most burpees and. Was your original goal 12 hours or 24 hours? Or 24 you... hours. It was only after I noticed the 12-hour record like two weeks before that uh-huh. I contacted Guinness. I was like, hey, can I go for this as well? And they're like, sure. You know? Might as well nail two at once. <laughs> Why not, man? But it was the reason to do that was the fundraiser mm-hmm. for the kids, right? Going, going back to what I believe in, it's cool that I've got a good record or a world record and all two of them. Um, but we raised – the goal was 10,000 yeah. burpees. For $10,000. And that was to also help out Peru. So I was going down to Peru to climb, and I knew that that dollar could go further. So we outfitted 60 kids down there with all new academic materials for a year, built a two-story tower of power climbing structure to get those out kids oh, out and playing, wear shoals, hide new running shoes, new garments, um, new running shorts, all new gear, all from that fundraiser. Oh, that's great. So, so how did the actual record-breaking experience go what was that day like 
did you did you like know pretty well that you were going to be able to do it or i mean what's the what's the most burpees you did before <laughs> attempting this <laughs> I, I, I scotty pippen is my favorite basketball player and i was uh, like i'm gonna do 3300 burpees in honor of scotty pippen right because <laughs> his number <laughs> and that was four and a half hours or it was somewhere around four and a half hours yeah. and that completely sucked man you know <laughs> <laughs> I so was in a walk. So Go you've ahead. done that many, and you you were going into this knowing you were going to have to do ten thousand. Right, <laughs> right. But I, I applied the training methods, being an mm-hmm. endurance athlete, working with Team Katouf and mm-hmm. doing my own self study. There's nothing like heart rate training, right? Yeah. So I just went by my heart rate. I fueled Krispy Kreme challenge back in the day. Fueled me because I knew I can stomach anything and everything and not throw up. Yeah. Right. It, it was really funny before the challenge, uh, Spartan Race. You ever heard of those? Oh yeah. Before? Uh-huh. Right. Well, Spartan Race is cool, but the the founder of it contacted me. He was like, he was like, that's impossible to do those many burpees. There's a video of him saying that. He tried and he failed. Right. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's pretty intense guy too because didn't he didn't he do these like almost death race type things before coming up right. with the Spartan Race? He's yeah, a he is. Endurance it, athlete. And he yeah. did not feel. You can look at. There's a video of him, and his eyes are bloodshot. <laughs> He's like, he has, it's not possible. <laughs> oh, he tagged out the Spartan Nation. He only did like 2,800 burpees or something. Yeah. Um. He's like, it's not possible to digest food. And as soon as someone says it's not possible, it's like a daggum tractor beam for me. Yeah. I'm so drawn to it. Then, then you do it, and you write the book on how to do it, uh-huh. right? And, and it's being the toughest exercise in 24 hours. I've never done an endurance event over nine hours before, but you just got to envision and believe in yourself. And going back to the records, I visualize I was in a hallway, mm-hmm. right? No doors with the record at the end. And that was symbolic of the Guinness World Record. And once I broke that record, I could exit, therefore breaking the world record. I could yeah. get out of that zone. Until then, I just had to do work, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> so, I'm just trying to imagine this, I guess. So, you did you actually do it for 24 hours? I actually broke the 12 hour record in eight hours. It was uh-huh. 5,000. And then I broke this. There was the old record was like 7,600 at the time. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it had been broken back and forth between two males in England, a female in Australia. Um, well, the old record stood at 7,684. I broke that record. I think it was. I really believe it was I can't, 20, um, around 12 or 16 hours in, something uh-huh. like that. Um, and I, I sat down. I finished 10,000 about hour 21 and a half. Yeah. And after that, man, I sat down and had sandwiches. <laughs> so, I mean, were you taking like little breaks in between or did you just pace yourself and just keep going that whole time? Right. So the first hour, I did like 800 mm-hmm. and kind of descended on each one. Uh, I would go by my heart rate. Once I broke the five thousand, I tried to take a I t- tried to take a nap, uh, which I'll never do again. If uh, I don't even want to think about doing that again, John. Thanks for putting my mind there. <laughs> <laughs> so that nap didn't go well, then. Uh, that nap did. Uh, the funniest thing is, it's in a small uh, gym, a personal training boutique gym called mm-hmm. the Sweat Box, right? And they closed the door and was like, "Let Cameron sleep." Undally, oh, I was God. so delirious that I'm just talking to myself in, in the room. And then the next thing you know, I, they've like, Cameron, you had a Rolling Stones and you were in there singing. I do not remember any of that. Are you serious? You were just was, hallucinating, basically. And that was at hour wow. eight. I was so out of my mind that one time, I, it was like six o'clock the next morning, and I was like, I need a toothbrush. 
my teeth are dirty, right? <laughs> I have no skin uh, left on my knuckles. I mean, everything's bare bone. I've had two toenails fall off already. Wow. Okay? And I'm just like, that's all part of it. I'm not mm. like, I'm not one. Suffering is kind of addicting because it puts your mind in such a different place. Yeah. Well, my father and goes, grabs a toothbrush. Of course, he opens it for me to brush my teeth while I'm sitting there doing burpees. Well, he hands me this toothbrush. I start arguing with my dad, Hoyt Dorn. That's his name. Uh-huh. I'm like, you're giving me a used toothbrush? Right? <laughs> He's like, Cameron, it's a new toothbrush. I and I could get it. N- yeah. And we're sitting there having this whole argument. I stopped doing burpees for like a minute. And I was like in a serious argument with my dad. I was like, there's no way I'm using your toothbrush. I was like, that is dirty, dad. <laughs> your mind was just gone then. Huh? Oh, my That's eyeball hilarious. had so, I lost like 13 pounds during wow. the day. And even taking in uh, six days worth, I took in almost 20,000 calories uh-huh. that day. Um, I, I had such low sodium, my left eyeball at 9,200 shot to the left side. <laughs> And it got stuck. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that was intriguing. When the doctor comes over, Dr. Brizzy, he's like, what's, whoa, whoa. He looks That's at it like not that. Right. <laughs> yeah, I drink half a jar of pickle juice, and I was back at it. Wow. That's that's amazing. Well, congratulations yeah. on breaking that. Oh, thanks, that's, man. That's cool. <laughs> Maybe just digging a little deeper, um, what's, what's some of the biggest obstacles you think you've kind of faced over, I don't know, maybe the past five, 10 years of your life and in terms of the way you want to live and I guess, how did you overcome them? I mean, is there anything right. that kind of stands out in your mind? Great question, man. I think the whole thing being from a small town, right? Mm-hmm. That mentality, um, that everything it's, it's great. Small towns are awesome, but there's a whole big world out there that's made to explore. Right. Yeah. And, and another thing is when you go and explore, everyone thinks that traveling is so expensive, mm-hmm. right, John? You just you just completed a bike trip. Yeah, right? yeah. That's when I realized you can you can live on the road for probably less than you can in an apartment. <laughs> no doubt about it. Yeah. Man. And from a business background, uh, you ever, you familiar with the SWOT analysis before? I don't know. I don't think so. It's like your strength. It's classic business: it's strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, instead of threats at the end, I was like, how can this apply to my life? Instead, put limitations. Yeah. Right. So it's you put a circle and then you put an S, right? Mm-hmm. And then you put a W across on the other quadrant, right? Mm-hmm. And then an O down at the bottom left qu- quadrant and an L over in the right. Mm-hmm. And that's your limitations. It's easy to work on the left side of that circle, right? Yeah. Our strengths and our opportunities. However, it's when we address our weaknesses and our limitations, you know, that we truly open our eyes to the the possibilities out there, right? So I'm great at exercising, mm-hmm. okay? You know, it's, it's awesome to go out and run two miles. It's the hardest thing for me to do is sit at a computer and type up a document yeah. for two hours. But I come to value when I conquer those weaknesses even more. And I, that's why I try to search them out. And I think holistically, if you can do that as a person, uh, to say enlightenment or whatever you want to call it, that's when we truly tap into so much potential that we have. Right. Yeah, yeah. I lo- I like how you were, you said earlier. You like to search out for fear and just go for it and conquer it. I mean, when, yeah. where did that mentality come from? How did you kind of develop that? Look, looking at things, uh, the whole thing about looking at a decision, right? 
when, when what does someone tell you maybe the first thing you do when you when you're you're making a big decision in John in life, John, what are you supposed to weigh out? The yeses and the noes, the yeah. good and the bad, okay. right? Pros and cons. The pros and cons. But I found that with indecision, you just sit there and you're on the fence. You're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. But once you make a decision, you're on a path, and every path will lead you somewhere. Yeah, right? That's true. And and the beautiful part is like 180 degrees south, the future is unwritten. It's unknown. It's mm-hmm. only when we walk into the unknown that we answer those questions. You never were there in the first place. Yeah. And I'm always looking to go where I've not been before. Yeah, I think I think that's part of what maybe maybe a big problem today is just I know I've I've fallen into this trap where you have access to the Internet and all this information and stuff. And and every time you want to make a big decision, you feel like well, I'll go and research it. And you start reading all this stuff and looking all this stuff up. And and eventually you just realize that you just got to go out there and do it because you're never going to have all the answers. And I feel like there's a lot of decisions in my life, at least, that I could have made quicker if I would have just gone for it instead right. of trying to search for all the answers ahead of time. So I kind of right. like what you're talking about. It's like information overload. Yeah, overload. I get it. Man. It is exactly. You know? I had a friend one time, he said to me, um, it was actually pertaining to racing. He was like, mm-hmm. man, I have everything I want to see here in the U.S. And I got back and I finished third in a race. And his wife mentioned to me, I just got back from Egypt climbing the pyramid. I paid $4 to a guy and climbed the backside of the Giza pyramid. <laughs> right? True story. I got pictures of it. Wow. And I get back and I finished like at that race. I didn't win. And she says to me, she's like, Cameron, you know, you could have been beating my husband right now. Had you not take those two weeks and went over there where it was dangerous. I was like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, I wouldn't right? trade those two weeks for anything. Yeah, are you kidding me? You know? Yeah. That's so that's what that's what it's all about. It's just a, it's just a mantra. And and if we don't see we've got limited time, man, mm-hmm. you know? There oh, there's a quote, when was the last time you did something for the first time? Oh yeah. And I try every day, right? Yeah. Someone actually sent me a birthday card once with that exact line on it and I still hang it on the wall. It's Dude, <laughs> there you go. Uh-huh. Less TV, more living, man. Yeah. So what what are some of your daily habits and rituals that that motivate you and keep you training at such a high level or just kind of operating in this mindset? Is there anything that you do every day? Exercise is integral to mm-hmm. it, right? And that's productivity. I, I, if I don't exercise, I'm not on edge. I'm not at the best. I would mm-hmm. say, right? I'm I'm still working, but I'm working seventy percent. And I, and I'm a believe I'm a believer in what I'm. I'm strong about eight to five or nine to five does not mean productivity, right? Yeah. W- running your own business and training at the top level, you're on 100%. There's no off button essentially, right? Yeah, yeah. The power off button is like, man, when the lights go out and you pull the plug and you're in bed and you're done because you can't <laughs> stay away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so during the day, uh, I have to chalk it up to Americanos and exercise. <laughs> cool. <laughs> So do you have uh, an idea of what's next in terms of maybe some records you're going to break or places you're going to travel or any new business prospects? Kind of Right. I do have – there is some um, records where I've applied for some other Guinness World Book of Records, mm-hmm. once again for a fundraiser. Um, that's going to launch with a – I'm working with a, a 5013C this time because last time I came in and I, I took the funds and I distributed them myself. Yeah. Well, I want to make sure all that gets – of course, that's a separate account. All that got distributed. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that was a lot of work yeah. doing that in itself. And now I'm about to move to Seattle in June. I'm in Raleigh until then, planning these 
um, these wellness programs takes a lot of time. That's a limitation, you know? Mm -hmm. And so what I need to do is just partner up with others. And a friend of mine, he actually was a Marine and he's got paralyzed by diving into a pool, swimming pool. Oh, wow. But he, he, he was kind of down for a little bit, not much, but then he, that was 20 something odd years ago. Mm -hmm. And now it's his charity is called roar rediscovering outdoor activities and recreation. Yeah. Right. And it, and it's all based about get up and get moving again. Mm -hmm. So I'm, we're going to do a benefit for him. Um, we're still shaking out. I would say the exact record, but we're still shaking out of which one it will be. But let's just say it involves endurance and very heavy things. Cool. <laughs> excited to see that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then traveling. Um, I want to go climb once again. I love mountaineering. Uh, I love Nepal. Uh, climbed two months this summer down in Peru. But with running the business, I'll climb in the northwest this summer do some speed ascents of mount hood and rainier yeah. actually try to run up them with gear oh, wow. and uh, race in transylvania boston marathon so that's that's the imminent horizon in hey. jamaica in three weeks sorry i forgot that's a pretty good lineup <laughs> yeah yeah 2015 is gonna be good <laughs> right so, right uh do you have any recommendations for people in terms of like a favorite book or movie maybe something that you've you know given to people the most right we're actually to a good that's a great segue did you by chance see the be awesome waterloo sign i don't think i did right so that's in waterloo it's, it's a sign on a small country road that's kind of like the landmark now people stop and get their picture made with uh -huh. it and it says be awesome waterloo and now it's it's grown larger and I actually had a friend of mine from waterloo he's an artist paint with a suitcase of courage be awesome waterloo and we established a little free library there oh cool and have you heard of those before the little free libraries no no so it's an actual Waterloo, South Carolina has no library. It's 12 miles to the nearest library, mm -hmm. right? And I'm a believer in, like you brought up a great question with the books. So we we put 40 or so books that's been donated in there, and it's registered on Google Maps. You can search it and go up there, grab a book, exchange a book, and read, and open your eyes to a whole new world right there in Waterloo, South Carolina. Oh, that's cool. That's a right? nice service. Yeah, and that's gonna. My vision for that as well. We're working to bring them to some other smaller towns. But in there, there's Endurance by Shackleton, right? Uh huh. Classic polar explorer from England. A great story of leadership. 497 days on an Arctic ice cap, and he all his men lived. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. It's an amazing story. Amazing story. That one I would recommend. Mm -hmm. uh, I would recommend also The Greatest Generation by Tom Brokaw. Oh, okay, yeah. Right, and then those are short stories. You can pick it up and read it about the war, the um, greatest generation, those from World War II, mm -hmm. about how they come from nowhere, USA. They go fight in this foreign land they've never been to, but then they come back and they positively influence where they're from. Yeah, that sounds like some great stories. I've seen that book. I've never read it, but I'll, I'll have to check it out now. Great. And then Bear Grylls. Bear Grylls has a book. I, I bought it in New Zealand and read it. I've read it five times oh, really? since then. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I I mean, I watched the show a bunch back in the day when right. it first came out. It's short one-liners and small quotes. Yeah, it's called the Survival Guide to Life. Oh, cool! And this thing is beat up. I've wrote on about every page of it, just <laughs> mantras, and I carry it with me. I'm looking at it right here. But I would recommend those, um, and then recommend like YouTube motivation. It's like brushing your teeth. If you mm -hmm. don't get it every day, man. You're gonna they're kind of gonna get it dirty. You know, that's not true. so good. 
stay stay on the sharp side. Yeah, there's a ton of good motivational videos out there. Some Arnold Schwarzenegger ones are some of my oh, favorites. Oh, <laughs> right. His six secrets to success. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, he's one. like, well, if you sleep eight hours, I suggest you sleep six. You know, <laughs> sleep faster. <laughs> sleep faster. Yeah. yeah, there you go, man. Uh, that's awesome. So, kind of just closing up, do you have any advice for people that maybe want to do something big with their lives or break some records in their area interest? Interest, and um, maybe just like, how do you feed your vision, and what are some right. some ways people can kind of go after their their passion? I, think I can sum it up on. Um, I sum it up with a. a be the most enthusiastic person you know. Mm-hmm. All right? Enthusiasm is that little edge that always gets you over the top. And it's doggone infectious, man. Right? That's true. You surround yourself with those people. You're, you're a combination of your five closest friends, we always say, yeah, right? I believe that, too. It's so true. And that's what's around you. I mean, be cognizant of that. I, I tell my friends all the time, I'm like, look. If someone comes in your house and they just bring a bag of trash in and throw it down, right, mm-hmm. open it up, you're going to tell them to pick that tr- trash up and get out, yeah. right? The same thing. Your mind is your most powerful weapon. If they come into my mind they're laying down trash or I call them dream stealers, whatever you want, and they're <laughs> saying you can't or you won't, yeah. I'm like, you know what? Hey, I respect you, but how many other people are there in the world? I don't need you around me, right? Exactly. And that and that comes – it's. A lot of people, the hardest thing is to say no, a lot of people, they say, mm-hmm. right? But I, I'm like, I don't want to be around that kind of person. So just be cognizant of your surroundings. And then also just, there's a quote by Theodore Roosevelt. It's like, the credit belongs to the man that's in the arena. You heard that one? I don't think so. That's a good I'll, one I'll say it a little bit more. Yeah, the credit belongs to the man who's in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. And at best... He achieves high triumphant, but if worse, he fails. But his soul shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat. Yeah, that's a great one. Right? So, you know, what's it, matter? What do you have to lose? It's a, it's a fight against yourself, no one else. Get in the arena. Get a little get a little dirty. Yeah, exactly. You only live once. Go that's for it. That's right, man. <laughs> that's right. Cool. So where can people find you online? Yeah. You know, What's Check the out way? the webs, yeah, the website www.suitcaseofcourage.net. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a still an old school. I only have one form of social media right now, but Facebook. You can mm-hmm. find me on Facebook at Cameron Dorn, right? And yeah, that's about it. Cool. That's that's all you need. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. I, I really appreciate um, you doing this with me, and you have tons of great insights, and uh, you definitely have an enthusiasm about you. So I, I appreciate you coming mm-hmm. on this podcast and and spreading it to everyone else so, <laughs> thank Certainly. you so much glad to be here man you got me fired up i think i'm gonna have to go for a run after this, you know? <laughs> awesome <laughs> all right man so uh you can follow me john jerko at john jerko on twitter and instagram and find more about odyssey and muse including the show notes for each episode at odysseyandmuse.com but most important go to itunes and subscribe and rate the show that's how the show gets noticed and grows so thank you for listening and until next time follow your true north